This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guest today, we're honored and excited to welcome Pooja Apple, architect. Pooja is a, of course, licensed architect, project manager at Guerrilla Development, and founding president of Portland's new NOMA chapter, NOMA PDX. A first-generation Indian-American, Pooja grew up in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, and Chicago, Illinois. She spent the last five years at Henneberry Eddy Architects, where she served as the lead sustainability architect for the LEED Gold Certified Concourse E-Extension to Portland International Airport, serving on the Sustainability Committee and DEI Committee, as well as recruiting, managing, and mentoring interns. Pooja became focused on inequities in the architecture profession. You can find her on the web at gorilladev.co. Pooja, thank you for being here. We're really honored and I'm always excited. Yeah, to talk so to excited you. to be here. Pooja, can you share with us with uh, maybe some early inspiration for you as an architect? Uh, not just as an architect, like if you can tell your audience today on the uh, on the show where you were, for lack of a better word, called, you believe, to be an architect? Mm. So when I was 10 years old, I recall driving past, it was actually downtown Columbus. I wish I could say it was downtown Chicago because that is the iconic skyline, but it was actually (laughs) downtown Columbus. And I just remember seeing skyscrapers and the built environment that people had created. And I was inspired. I couldn't believe that people could create such fantastic and large scale environments. It was almost like a, um, like a power thrill, you know, that we as humans can create things so much larger than ourselves. And since that day, I said I wanted to be an architect and my family was very confused. Nobody in my immediate family had ever considered architecture. I mean, my parents are computer engineers and most everyone else in my family is a doctor of some sort or an engineer of some sort. But I was adamant that I wanted to be an architect and that desire never went away. Although the sort of driving force behind it has changed quite a bit over the years. Um, I'm no longer interested in designing skyscrapers. I'm much more driven by um, small scale development and sustainability and, um, you know, equity in architecture. Um, But I, it really was a calling for me. I know a lot of architects have this kind of story where um, they were called at an early age and just, just never, never gave up on that dream. Segue into never giving up on that dream. What's your experience and, and thoughts on the youth, our youth, being exposed to architecture mm. and design? Yeah, I, I'm curious how, I'm curious if students are 
if young, you know, middle school, high school students are interested in, you know, architecture as we know it, I don't know that they would maybe phrase it that way, but they might say, I love The Sims. They might say, you know, there are all these different games actually that I used to play growing up that exposed me to design and taught me kind of fundamentals of of design without me really knowing it. Um, and I think about some of the high school students I've worked with through ACE, um, which is uh, a program that introduces high schoolers to architecture, construction, and engineering. And I mean, these students are brilliant. They'd have some of the fundamentals of design and are able to assess problems in our environment that can be solved through design at, at these teenage years. And so I, I think there's a huge opportunity for, for young folks to get involved in design. But then I think the path that is laid out when you look at the traditional path of architecture is really daunting. Um, I was told that the fastest path to architecture to licensure was seven years. And that's, that's a lot to throw at a teenager, especially um, I was told over and over again, just remember this profession doesn't pay a lot. And so, you know, you have to invest all of these years of your life into something that it probably isn't going to pay off all those years of grad school that's required. And so that's where my head has been at lately is kind of challenging the notion that, that the traditional path to licensure is the only way to um, teach folks about the power of design. I started thinking about, mm-hmm. about other ways to teach people about design and other ways to get involved, especially since I've made this transition to working at, a developer company. I mean, I didn't learn about real estate in school and that seemed to me like a really boring subject. And now I see the power of land ownership and passive income and generational wealth. Um, these are all things that are are fascinating and and empowering, especially for communities that have been prevented from participating in those types of opportunities. So my head's in a really interesting place these days. It's it's really departing from that traditional path. And I don't know how it's going to make its way back into these programs that introduce middle schoolers and high schoolers to design, but um but I want to see want to see those conversations change a little bit to show students all of the opportunities out there. I liked it power of um, land ownership in an architect as a developer. What's your thoughts on that? I think that's the future. Um, I've kind of started to see how architects have become the middleman. You know, you've got your clients who own the land and decide what they're going to do with it. And then you've got the occupants who are going to use the building And you've got these architects who, you know, you just kind of have to execute whatever vision your client wants. And we're dreamers, you know, most of the architects that I know want to change the world. And you can't really do that when you're not sitting in the driver's seat. And I look at what my boss has done at Guerrilla Development, where he's able to make those decisions and sit in the driver's seat at phase zero and decide what is going to happen 
uh, on this piece of land that he's bought or on this existing building that he's bought. Uh, you don't have to convince a client to save an existing building if that's your passion. You know you're going to save it and then you go from there. Um, so I'm really excited by that idea. And I think the next step is figuring out how to teach that to architects and and young folks and make it seem less daunting and more exciting. How about the risk factor? There's def- there's definitely more of a risk in doing that. However, the reward is could be non-ending. What's your thought on that risk? Yeah, I think that was one of the scariest parts of me taking this job was knowing that culturally that this office is much more comfortable with risk than I ever have been. But I'm also very passionate about innovation. And our last conversation, we talked a lot about curiosity, which I think goes hand in hand with innovation. And you can't have innovation without risk. Um, That doesn't mean that you should take crazy risks where you have a low probability of success. I think there are ways where um, you can minimize your risk through strategic planning. And the other, um, the other approach that Gorilla takes is, um, is maintaining ownership of properties long-term. So land tends to gain value over time. So even if your project isn't panning out in two, five years, maybe in 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to pay off because it's going to, you're going to be gaining that equity over time. And so your, your risk is actually smaller than you might think. I've taken over the years, uh, some, uh, <laughs> some risk in, in saying what I'm going to say and in, in, in that I believe that architects, designers, and engineers and builders, if they were, more embedded in the uh, the cities from a mayor vice mayor that the city itself would significantly be improved the infrastructure would be improved the people's connections and the communities would be improved more so than now i don't think you i don't very rarely is a, a a mayor or an architect is a mayor or an engineer a mayor what's your thought on that yeah, <laughs> that's kind of I, risky for you too but i can take it and, and uh, I, I firmly believe that um, a few folks could quote me from a few months ago saying that I was going to be mayor one day. Um, <laughs> although I don't know if that's okay. been in the path I there want to take because being in the public eye is pretty scary. Um, but I think you're right. I think that architects, were they to get more involved in government and policy making, that's where we'll have our biggest impact. Um, I don't think that we'll see any large advances towards solving climate change without policy change. So it's pretty clear that we need to be involved at that level. Um, And then at the same time, you think about why folks get involved in, in architecture. And oftentimes it's, it's a creative drive and, and government is not, doesn't really, it's not that appetizing to, to folks drawn to design, in my opinion, um, at least for me personally, I can I can say that. I mean, people get involved in architecture for all sorts of reasons, and there probably is a, a percentage of us that would be perfect to go into government. Um, but it's it takes patience, and it takes 
an ability to digest technical uh, writing and and be passionate about writing new policy and pushing it forward. And government is slow too, and that can be can be frustrating when you want a quicker payoff so you can get back to doing what you love. Well answered. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Cyroclad. We're talking today with Pooja Apple, architect and NOMA PDX president, as well as lead AP. For more information, feel free to visit gorilladev.co. That's gorilladev.co. Pooja, can you share with us some recent projects that uh, your audience would like to hear? You don't have to name names, of course, unless you'd like to, but we'd love to hear some of the some of the work you're doing. Yeah, I've got a few interesting projects on the docket, um, most of which are adaptive reuse projects, which is my passion. Um, one of them is an old uh, adult film theater um, in one of Portland's hip neighborhoods, one of our commercial corridors that's got a lot of really great restaurants and shops on it. And the neighborhoods were really excited to see this um, old theater get turned into something more family friendly. Um, It's going to stay a a film theater, but it'll be uh, more artsy. And um, we're really excited to see what our our future tenant is going to do with it. I can't announce who that is yet, but it's pretty exciting. Sure. Um, oh yeah! Wow. And on that that project also has a couple, a uh, couple apartments and a new tavern and a retail store at the, at the corner. And that's been a fun one to work on. Um, I kind of joined during construction, but I pushed for a couple things that were important to me, including gender neutral restrooms and. Um, kind of a better ADA accessible approach to the building. Um, and that's, it's just been fun to, to dive into this building's history and um, pull out the parts of the architecture that we think are really beautiful and um, do some voluntary seismic upgrades and, um, and just bring this building up to 2022 standards. Um, another project that's right next door to our office actually is an old um, auto garage that we are turning into creative office spaces. And it's a pretty simple building and a fairly simple project, but it's, we're saving these existing bow trusses that are really gorgeous. And then dividing the space up um, with a brew pub at the corner and a bunch of local creatives filling up the building. Um, and one thing that's been super interesting being on this side of, of um, the design process is how we pick our tenants. And hmm. it, it's not something I would have ever thought about at a traditional architecture firm, but since we're the developer and the landlord for this building, um, it's really interesting to see how we curate our buildings and, um, and actually try to build community with who we're who we're filling our buildings with. It's not just the first person who calls. It's um, there's usually a theme around who's in this, in our buildings. And this one's all creatives and it, I'm excited to, to meet all of them, to work next door to them and uh, 
and have that kind of personal touch with my projects where previously, you know, you finish CA and then you're done. You never really go back to that building if it's privately owned. Um, yeah. I love it. Now, how about your work with Noma PDX? Share with us uh, your, your experiences with that. Yeah, Noma PDX, it's a great group of people. I'm constantly inspired at our board meetings and at our member meetings, the amount of passion that folks have and just meeting people with the, the same passion as I have for equity and architecture. Um, we've got a few different sort of projects we're working on, not projects, it, we've kind of divided it into committees, um, but there's a few different areas that our work falls into one of which is is changing how architecture firms hire and retain diverse talent. Um, Noma National is actually working on a call to action that is inspired by Noma Northwest's call to action there in Seattle. And it's essentially a pledge for firms to sign on to um, that addresses um, diversity, equity, and inclusion training, um, that includes target, uh, basically hiring statistics, trying to deliberately diversify your staff, um, and and not just hire diverse talent, but retain that talent through mentorship and leadership training. Um, so that's that's one thing. Another thing that we're working on is getting young students interested in architecture all the way from second grade through high school um, through various programs. So this past year we did Project Pipeline, um, which was virtual, um, but it's a summer camp for, I think, middle schoolers. Um, and we have the students do a, a project and meet various architects of color and, and start exposing them to the power of design and introducing them to some good connections for their future. Um, and then the latest uh, idea that we've been talking about is a, a mentorship program for professionals in our organization. And so that's one thing that I'm really excited about for 2022 and we'll be talking to my board about tomorrow, but um, just coming up with a way to, to introduce members to one another and have a formal mentorship program to help folks learn from one another and get the type of um, training and mentorship that they might not be getting in the office or in addition to mentorship they're getting in the office, but maybe from a perspective that is a little different. Excellent. We're going to go into a, uh, a quick break. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Siraclad. We're talking today with Pooja Apple, architect, and Noma PDX president, as well as lead AP. Our uh, acknowledgement for today is the Noma PDX, that is the National Organization of Minority Architects, Portland chapter, arose out of the outcries of people that took the streets in the summer of 2020. Now, as a nationally recognized chapter of Noma, Noma PDX is named as such from the local understanding that the design community in Portland reaches beyond city limits. For more information, you can find them at nomapdx.org. Again, that's nomapdx.org.
www.pujaapple.org. Again, we're talking today with Pooja Apple, architect. For more information, feel free to visit her on the website at gorilladev.co. That's gorilladev.co, and that's Gorilla Development. Pooja, with, um, with business and commerce constantly evolving, the expectations and architecture have evolved as well. What's changed, at least in your experience, in the last, say, two to three hmm. years? I think the biggest change I've seen is this call for community engagement in the design process. I think that in the past, um, there's been a culture of architects, um, a, a single kind of large ego leading the design, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, for example. And, and it's all about that architect and you don't hear about the people using the buildings and you almost see people scoff at the um, feedback of the occupants of the building. You know, you design a really beautiful bench and they say, oh, these flats are so uncomfortable. And yes, it looks good, but I don't want to sit on that bench. That's a problem. And our egos sometimes get in the way. I think Frank Lloyd Wright had a, a three-legged stool that, that the person who was using it kept falling over. That's the problem that I think we're finally solving by getting actual feedback from, from users and trying to um, not just get feedback from the typical occupants of our buildings, but from marginalized groups. So for example, folks who are designing public libraries do need to think about the large amount of the houseless population that uses library facilities for a number of reasons and, and really being considerate of their needs and what they look for in the spaces that they occupy. That is the biggest difference I've seen just in the last few years. That goes along with, along with collaboration and sustainability. How I, I, I know you believe both of them, but share your own personal meaning to collaboration and sustainability. Yeah, I think it. the more that people feel ownership of their environments, the more they'll care for them. Um, Portland right now has a really large graffiti problem and vandalism problem. And it breaks my heart to see. And I think about why people are doing that. And I, I wonder if part of it is a way of taking back ownership of their environment, even though it's kind of a destructive act. And so how can we harness this energy that people have to participate in the built environment and make it productive and beautiful and not <laughs> destructive vandalism? Um, I also think that um, people who typically aren't involved in the design process have really amazing ideas, especially folks who come from cultures that we don't often hear from in the design process. Um, I, I personally am interested in ornament in architecture and what that looks like in, in 2022. Mm. And I think that as we involve more folks in the design process and as we diversify our design teams, I'm hoping that a bit of ornament comes back that's actually reflective of the richly diverse communities that we have in America. I mean, we're in a really interesting country that is welcoming to all different types of cultures. And 
I don't know that we've fully seen that reflected in our architecture. Yeah. Have you seen it? Um, even though it may be rare, have you seen examples of it? And if so, love to hear. Hmm. I think, and Portland's kind of a difficult spot to, to see that in because it's not the most diverse city. I think um, when I've interned in San Francisco, I've been deeply inspired by some of those culturally inspired um, locations. But the way that I've seen it mostly nowadays is through murals. Um, it's really not the architects who are who are um, doing that work. It's the artists that we collaborate with who put these beautiful murals on our blank walls and suddenly bits of our community are reflected in our designs. And I think that's just the beginning because murals are gorgeous. Um, but, but what else can we do that, that goes beyond a layer of paint? Can you share with us, uh, Pooja, some of the, what you may want to add to the show that we may not have talked about that you think is really important and, and matters to you? Hmm. Um, you know, today I was thinking a bit about perfection. Um, up until last year, I would have considered myself a perfectionist and you could see that in all my studio projects. There are probably folks I went to school with who are laughing right now, uh, listening to this. Um, but lately I've been thinking about imperfection and the beauty in imperfection and it has to do with the human touch, right? And designing for actual people and allowing people to make their marks on spaces. And it comes down to, in my opinion, embracing imperfection and embracing the, the marks that we leave as people who are messy and fallible and, and how gorgeous that can be. I mean, I think about... Um, handmade ceramic coffee mugs that that we gravitate towards and and why handmade goods are so beautiful and it's because you can see the imperfections that human hands made on that object and as we as we move into a world that is becoming highly automated i think we're going to start to appreciate so much the things that are imperfect and can't have been replicated by a computer because of that unique touch that we have as humans. That's where my head's at these days. It's, it's a big shift for me personally, um, but I want to throw that out there in case it inspires anybody. Thank you very much. Pooja, it's been an honor and a real pleasure having you on, uh, on your show today. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you so much, Pooja. Our guest today has been Pooja Apple architect, NOMA PDX president, and lead AP. Pooja is a project manager also at Guerrilla Development and uh, again, founding president of Portland's new NOMA chapter, NOMA PDX, serving on the sustainability committee and the DEI committee, as well as recruiting, managing, and mentoring interns. Pooja became focused on inequities in the architecture profession. For more information, feel free to visit their website at Guerrilla dev.co again that's gorilla dev.co you've been listening to the architecture and innovation podcast by sarah clad 
the Architecture and Innovation podcast is recorded from the office of Sierra Clad in Redmond, Washington, and on location. Executive producer and host is yours truly, Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, the email address is podcast at syraclad.com slash podcast. Thank you.